So today we begin a new series titled, Winning the War in Your Mind. Your mind is actually the most powerful part of yourself. You see, your brain literally tells your body everything that it's supposed to do. Some things are automatic, which is kind of your unconscious mind. You actually do it without necessarily thinking. And then there's that part of your mind where you consciously have to tell yourself to do something. In the 1960s, there was a form of psychology that was developed, which is known as uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, But it really hasn't become something that's been used a lot um, until about say, the last 15 years or so. So this cognitive behavioral therapy is literally, this is the definition of it, to teach people that it is possible to have control over their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Did you catch that? To teach people that you have control over your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Seriously? We got to teach them that? I thought they just knew that you had control over your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. But if you think about it, no pun intended, we do have to teach ourselves and each other that we can control those things because we become so automatic in those things We stop thinking about it and we just do it. You see, life, the life we have is really a reflection of what we think. Our life is a reflection of what we think. What we think will determine who we become tomorrow. And even crazier than that is that we probably don't even realize that it's happening. Most of us probably didn't even think about that until I just said that we don't think about it very much, do we? We we just naturally do things. We don't think about the power that our thoughts have on our lives, which makes them even more powerful. You see, God made us this way. What science was demonstrating and is demonstrating today is what God told us through Solomon almost 3,000 years ago when Solomon writes in Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. As he thinks in his heart, so he is. We have to ask ourselves, Do we like the direction of our thoughts and how they're taking us and where they're taking us? Do we like the direction that our thoughts are taking us? If the answer to this is no, then maybe it's time to start changing our thinking. Decide to change your mind so that God can change your life. Some of us are just sick and tired of being 
sick and tired, right? I mean, we've heard it said before. Um, we're, we're sick and tired of having our life poisoned by the thoughts that we have. When I said a little earlier, I made the statement that your brain literally tells your body everything that you're supposed to do. How many of you had this thought in your mind, what in the world's wrong with me? <laughs> I'm, hopefully I'm not the only one who, who said that, but if you did have that thought, you're not alone. Because Paul says in, he says this in Romans 7, starting in verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do. That sounds about right. For what I do want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Can any of you relate with Paul? Yeah. You see, your mind is literally a battlefield. And the battle is for your life. And it's always won or lost in your mind. So we see Paul in Romans saying, I do not know what in the world I'm doing. The things I do want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And then we see in his letter to the Philippians, he says this in, in chapter 4, verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What in the world happened between his letter to the Romans and his letter to the Philippians? Something happened. Because he went from my life is nuts, I have no control over my mind, to I have learned to be content in my life. And he was in prison when he wrote that letter. But he has learned to be content. 
How many of us in prison would feel like, God, why in the world did you put me here? This is all your fault. I was trying to be good. I told you I didn't know what in the world I was doing. But yet, this is where I ended up. Most of us would be blaming God, but yet there is where he learned to be content. So a transformation obviously has taken place in Paul's life. In 2 Corinthians, we, we get a glimpse of what has taken place in Paul's mind. In chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, he says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Divine power, dudamus. It's this explosive power of God that cannot be stopped. There's nothing that can stop the power of God. The translation for demolish is, is destruction requiring massive power, or said another way, to lower with violence. Do you get the grasp of, of this kind of power? It's not something you're nice about. But it's something that you go at with all of your strength, with all of your being. It becomes violent because of what you're fighting for. The strong, when it says strongholds, it's literally talking about and comparing to a military fortress that is built on the highest peak in the city. And then it was reinforced with walls that were up to 20 feet thick. Not inches, 20 feet thick. That kind of power. It doesn't say to just chip away a hole in this little wall so that you can fit through it. No, it says that you demolish it with a divine power. You see, Paul says we do not wage war as the world does. But you see, the problem is many of us Christians aren't raging war. We don't even realize we're in a war. We think the war is in the Ukraine. We think that's the biggest war going on in the world right now. But if you think that, can I, let me just help you out. Um, you're wrong. Because the biggest war right now is the battle over your soul. Yours, mine, the person next to you, the, the people watching online. It's the battle for your soul. If you think about it, if you look through Scripture... What is it about? It's a story of God and his people. It's a story over your faith. It's a story over your soul and the battle for it. 
You cannot change what you do not confront. If you ignore the battle, spoiler alert, if you ignore the battle, you lose the battle. So if you, in other words, like I tell my racers, if you don't step to the line and run the race, you lose. There is no, like, I don't feel like it today, um, that you guys go on ahead of me and think that you achieved something. No, if you don't run the race, you lose the race. So many kids that I, that I coach are afraid to be last. Well, I can tell you what, the person who gets last beat the person who didn't run. Think about it. If you're not in the battle, you've lost it. Ephesians 6, verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, our adversary is not your boss. It's not your spouse. It's not your neighbor who has that annoying barking dog. That's my dog, sorry. Forget about that. Um, Um, it's not the president of the United States. It's not your local mayor. It's none of those things. That is not your adversary. You see, you have to realize is that your adversary is Satan. It's the devil. And if you think that's too extreme, that's exactly what he wants you to think. It's exactly what he wants you to think because if you think that, you've already lost the battle because you don't know who you're fighting. You see, Satan will tell you if you succeeded something, maybe he can convince you that you don't need God. If you fail at something, he'll try to brainwash you into thinking that you're always going to be a failure. He will take whatever it is and he will twist it and use it against you. Ever known a person like that? It did, you could have done everything nice to them, but they're going to take that niceness and they're going to use it against you. Why? Because they're allowing themselves to be used by Satan. Well, that's kind of harsh. No, it's reality. Stop blaming the person and blame the one who's actually behind it. What if we started seeing each other by who was on the inside? By who had control of our hearts and our minds? And I'm not saying we use that against them. I'm saying we use that to have a little compassion. Oh, so you're saying we should let the devil off. No! That person that ticks you off, let's pray for them. That person that annoys you to death, let's pray for them. Because Satan hates it.
A lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it is true. I just lost the Houdini. That's it. I was like, man, I just lost the guy's name. Harry Houdini. Um, when he would get ready to prepare for a show, when he would go into a new town, one of the things that he was known for doing was he would draw a crowd and, and pull people together, and he would go to the local jail. And he would have the jailer lock him in a jail cell, and then he would break out. And he did this time after time after time. And it kind of was kind of some drawing some excitement around his show, you know, getting people to buy tickets to come. And so he did this over and over and over. Well, there was this jailer who knew that Houdini was coming. And so he was prepared. And so Houdini shuts the cell behind him. And the jailer puts the key in and turns the key the opposite direction. Pulls the key out. And Houdini goes to work. And what he doesn't know is that every time he's picking the lock, he's actually locking himself in the jail cell. Finally, Houdini confesses and admits that he can't get out. He's stuck. And so the jailer eventually tells him what he did. You see, living your life by a lie is a lot like believing the door is locked when it isn't. On the other side is freedom. But you first have to commit to some personal lie detection to experience the abundant life that Jesus came and died to give you. So continuing on in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, from 3 and 4, going to verse 5, Paul writes, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive it was saying, it's, we take our minds and our thoughts captive and we then determine, is it a lie or is it truth? Are we going to allow ourselves to believe it or are we going to reject it because we know it's not right? Well, how do we do that? Well, remember earlier I said you cannot change what you do not confront. If you ignore the battle, you lose the battle. So what are we going to do? It's simple. We're going to remove the lie and we're going to replace it with truth. Remove the lie, replace it with truth. Sounds pretty easy, right? Wrong. It hurts. Because we have to be honest with ourselves and we don't like it. None of us do. Step one in AA is to admit that you need help. Why is that step number one? 
Because if you don't admit that you have a problem and that you need help, you're never going to get anywhere. Ever met the person who has a problem? I'm not talking about alcohol, but any problem, but they are just like in denial. And no matter what you say, no matter what you do, they won't, they won't change. Because why? Because they don't think they have a problem. But all of a sudden, when the light bulb goes off and they realize they have a problem, they get help and life begins to change for them. So we first have to replace the lie and replace it with truth. Why? Because our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think shapes who we are. What we think shapes who we are. So what are we going to do? Well, my challenge to you is we're going to look at winning this war. And to do that, we have to be honest with ourselves. And, and there is a book... Um, that Craig Groeschel has written. It's called Winning the War in Your Mind. Spoiler alert. And um, what I've done is I've um, written out, and I've given him credit, so don't, like, sue me. Um, up here and on a stand back there, there are three exercises for you to do. The first one will probably take you the whole week. Um, because you'll sit it down and you won't touch it. You'll see it, but you're like, I don't have time for that. And you, you'll like, eh, and you, then one day you're going to pick it up and you're going to read it and you're going to be like, that was exhausting enough. And then you're going to set it down. And then maybe week two, you might go back to it and be like, okay, let's take this on and so on and so forth, right? Okay, um, so that's exercise one, right? It's called a thought audit. On a normal day, what are the thoughts that come into your mind? What are the thoughts that come into your mind? Then the next exercise is you're going to identify the strongholds, the ruts in your life. Next week, we'll talk a little more about what those ruts are and, and how they're actually caused. Because our brain literally makes ruts or neural pathways that help us live into the lies that we're told. And so we have to rewrite those neural pathways to believe truth. And then third exercise is to identify the lies, to declare a truth, and then to make a declaration. A few examples of the last one. Some of us might say, I can't get all that done. But Scripture tells you, I can do all things through Christ. When I am weak, He is strong. I'm not attractive. I, I don't like how I look. Scripture says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're miserable. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You feel alone. My God is with me. He will never leave me. I'm a victim. 
No, you are an overcomer. You see, we have to change the lie into truth. Which one do you want to be? The victim or the overcomer? Did you want to be the person who always feels alone or knows that God is with you? And here is how transformation happens. It does not happen by identifying the lie and saying the scripture. Yeah, I'm done. Good. Woo. No. Over and over and over. How many times did it take for that lie to sink in and become reality for you? It's going to take that many times for you to reverse that with the truth. You're going to have to tell yourself that you are beautiful. That God loves you the way you are. God didn't make a mistake when he created you. That you are loved. You have to rewrite in your mind. It's not about simply going through steps. You see, going through steps is simply behavior modification. Behavior modification does not transform your life. You see, there's a reason in Romans 12.2 where Paul says that you have to be renewed by the transforming of your mind. Because your mind controls what? Your behavior. And if your mind is believing a lie, you're going to live the lie. So why don't we start believing and living into the truth? Do you, you want to believe the lie that the world has told you? Or do you want to live into the truth that God says about you? I don't know about you, but when, when I look at even the small community that we're in, there are, the majority of us are living into the lie. And it's okay, because we don't. So, so many, I realized this week that I got suckered into um, coaching middle school track. And I realized that uh, the head coach and I have this good cop, bad cop thing going on. I'm the bad cop. Because I refuse to not live in reality with these kids. When they mess up, I tell them. And I've realized over the years that other coaches think that I'm mean. But it's like, I don't, why would I tell them, that was awesome, that was a great job, when that was the slowest race they've ever run in their life. Now I'm not going to beat them up with that. I'm just going to say, hey, that wasn't a good race, let's move on. But I'm not going to live in a reality that's not reality. Yeah, I was talking earlier with a couple people in the back. Um, so our kids had a track meet yesterday. It was like nine hours long. I'm like, I firmly believe Satan has taken over the weather. 
um, because I'm like crispy just so that I have to wear long sleeves this next week. It's like, what is up with that? Now I'm going to be irritated and all the sun. Sorry, I just weird. And so nine hours baking in the sun yesterday. And not one of the runners had a best, like their best race. All of them ran a little slower. Every single one of them were like, I suck. Like, no, you don't. Our last race was 30 degrees colder than yesterday, possibly 40. This is the first time they've run in weather above 70. It's like, your body doesn't adapt that quick. Your body should run slower. And so as they began to hear reality, they began to see that that wasn't a bad race. That was actually a pretty good race in the condition that it ran in. So I took the lie that they had fed themselves and put truth in replace of it. See, sometimes we need other people to help us see the lie that we're telling ourselves and to put that truth in the place of it. So one of the things that you can do, and I'll admit only the brave and the few will attempt this, but ask your spouse what lies you're believing. What lies are you believing and living into? But I challenge you to, to flip it and say, I'm asking you only if you allow me to speak into your life as well. It's only fair, I mean, right? And I throw that in there because, because I know Jennifer has already got her list. And, and I'm going to need about a month to come up with my list um, because they come to me slowly. Not as fast and as brutal as hers come to her mind. We see a life transformation took place in my life when I took this class. It was called Addiction and Spiritual Formation. I'm like, oh, this is going to be interesting. Like all of us pastors, you know, we were like, addiction? We know what addiction is. That's like drugs and alcohol. That's what addiction is. And assignment number one was to read the first few chapters of this book called Addiction and Grace. And, and like good pastors, we read it, but we didn't hear it, you know. And, and, and so we, we read it, we didn't hear it. And then the first question on the assignment was, what are the things that you have an addiction to? And we're all like, I'm not taking any illegal drugs or are you taking are you drinking alcohol a lot on the side like what and then all of a sudden the professor starts talking to us and he was like what in the world makes you think that that's the only addiction in your life the professor looked at me and said close your laptop why because i know you're working on stuff for church and not what you're supposed to do in the class 
oh crap, you know, and well, why? Because at that time, my addiction was being a workaholic. I loved what I did, and I was always doing it. And I realized something. We're all addicted to something. And to be addicted is to be in the need of grace. And the only place that we receive grace and love is through Jesus Christ. You see, we all have an addiction, whether a lot of us could just, you know, take our phone out of our pocket and like, I'm like that. I know Terry's like, nope. I know she's not because she never replies to my texts. And, and, <laughs> and, but you name it, like, we all have those things. If you don't think you have an addiction, what is the thing that comes to your mind when you think, if I don't have this, I'm going to have a physical, a mental, or an emotional response to not having it? That is what you're addicted to. Caffeine. Last time I checked, it's legal. It can, it's addictive. You name, like, we're all addicted to something. Watching TV. Our kids. There are people who are addicted to their kids, and you need to take a sabbatical. Because your spouse isn't being acknowledged. Because the one that was supposed to come before the kids are actually way after the kids. See, that's not how God intended it. But you see, our number one addiction is everything else that we put in replace of God. Why? Because we've believed all the lies. It's okay to have a busy life. God will forgive you. It's okay. You don't need to make that a priority because you've got so much going on in your life. You're just feeding the lie and the addiction. What are the lies that you're believing? What are the truths that God has for you? And for some of you, you're going to actually have to open your Bible and read it. But let me give you a quick um, shortcut. Because... And I get, like, one of the things that will stop you from doing this specific exercise is I don't know the Bible well enough to be able to find a verse that would help me with what I'm feeling. So if you go, um, there's, for example, like, uh, Bible Gateway, there's uh, Blue Letter Bible, there's Bible.com, which is um, the online browser version of um, the version app that Craig Groeschel's church uh, created. Um, and you can go and you can put in the search like what you're struggling with. You, you feel like you're a victim. Okay, well, if victim is what you feel like, what is the opposite? Search that word. 
and it will pull up every scripture that has that word in it. But here's the thing. Don't look at the first one and say, yep, that's it, and write it down. I mean, don't be that naive. Not, I mean, that's like flipping through the Bible, eh, eh, that one. You know, that was, that's a good one. Um, no, that's not, um, that's not how you preach either, but um, some do. And we'll put thought into it. So in that class, that addiction and grace class, the first thing we had to do was make a moral inventory of our life. We literally had to write our sins on paper and turn them in to the professor. Little did we know, he wasn't actually going to look at them. He just wanted to see if we had the guts to turn it in. Thankfully, we all did. But the thing is, this isn't about anyone else but yourself. Do this for you. You see, you can try and convince an alcoholic that they're an alcoholic, but until they believe they're an alcoholic, they will never get help. But once they realize that they have a problem, once they want to do it for themselves, not for anyone else. The number one thing that I tell an addict when they're getting ready to go to rehab is, if you're doing this for your family, you're going to fail. When it comes to addiction, you have to be selfish. You have to want this for you. And when you want it for yourself, you're more likely to do it. Well, the reality is this has nothing to do with anyone else but you. So look inside yourself. And I promise you, if you go through these things, it, you'll come out different. Your life will be different. You know, I could sit here and tell you story after story after story that has come out of that one-hour class for I don't know how many weeks, but Because I realized that addiction is simply isn't drugs and alcohol. It's, it's literally a lot of things. <laughs> and it's different for everybody. But when I realized the value and really like evaluating myself and wanting to be better, I started to be better. <laughs> Better Christian, better father, better husband. But as I read this book, I realized there are still some lies I believe. And you know what? There are still some lies that I tell to other people. Like, I'm like not saying I'm lying to you about me. I'm saying, like, I feed into other people's lies about themselves. That's what I'm saying. But we have to think about that. 
We actually have to process it. Why? Because it's not normal. Because we've already believed all these other things, and that's what's normal now. We have to change that to a new normal. Talk about that next week. So stand with me. Or I'll keep going. And I'm reading the crowd, and we're getting tired. So sunburns are kicking in. So if you would just reach out your hands and receive this blessing. Jesus, my prayer for each one of us is that we would wage war on the lies that Satan has made us believe and that we have allowed ourselves to believe. God, I pray that you will help us to be serious about our lives, about our relationship with you, about our our relationships with our spouses and our children and and our students at school and and the kids that we coach and our neighborhood kids, our neighbors and all the people in our lives, God. I pray that you will help us to not want to wage war for everyone else, but to wage war against Satan for our lives so that we can help others live more into the life that you've called them to live. God, we pray for your grace and your mercy as we take these steps into a battle that can be won because you say through Jesus Christ, We will be victorious. We thank you, Jesus, for the victories that will be won in the lives this week and the weeks to come. Amen.